Welcome back to the Healthy at Cerner podcast and to another episode where we come at you with another topic related to musculoskeletal health. I am David Albers, and again, I am joined by the brilliant co-host, Rebecca Grube. And we are talking about fitness training for longevity, as in how to keep doing the things that you love to do uh, for decades to come. So like for the rest of your life that you can keep doing this stuff. This, the thought of this conversation really comes from, I think, a lot of our personal experiences and our personal learnings, as well as just discussions we've had with other fitness professionals in our area and many of the individuals we've personally worked with. And many of us have that specific activity that we really enjoy doing and really want to be able to keep doing it. So how do we make sure that that the way we live and the way we train supports our body's ability to keep doing that activity. Yeah, I think we see a lot of people run their bodies into the ground. People are trying to keep up with what's hot in fitness Mm -hmm. or doing what they think is the right thing to do for their health and fitness. But a lot of times what we see is maybe what they're doing isn't very well balanced or bottom line really isn't what their body needs at this point in their lives. So we meet with these types of people all the time. Right. You know, you and I evaluate people coming to us for injuries and different musculoskeletal conditions. And they wonder, you know, what is it that they're doing wrong? How can I stay active over the course of my lifetime um, without having being plagued with these injuries all the time? And I can identify with just that kind of thought where, you know, you, you think you're doing something good for your body, and then you run into this problem. You're like, "What? Why?" Yeah. You know, like I think I'm help. I'm I'm doing the right things here, but I keep running into this wall. Whatever it is, but yeah, uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of storytelling between the two of us on this topic because we, you and I, both have activities that we really enjoy. Yeah. But as we get older and we have jobs, we have families. You know, there's just life things that start vying for our attention, and we don't always feel as good as we did ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I. That's completely true. And, you know, it's frustrating and it's discouraging sometimes. So I know that you and I have both really strived to become students of our bodies. Mm -hmm. One, because that's what we do for a living. We have to teach others about their bodies. But it's learning how to balance the activities that we love with various forms of other training. And then even getting down to deliberately making lifestyle choices that will empower you and I to stay active and feel good doing so for as long as we are physically able to do it. So we want to share some of those learnings with our listeners so that all of you can do the same. Mm -hmm. And so as I've examined this topic, we've been thinking about this for, I don't know, about a month or so now. Mm -hmm. And I've really thought about the components that have kept me active or have allowed people that I know stay active into their later years in their life and still feel good doing so, I have pulled out, I think, three common threads that exist for all of them. The first is to keep moving, and that just revolves around the idea that if you use it, you won't lose it. Number two, taking care of your body. Number three, listening to your body. So we're going to kind of unpack some thoughts in all of those um, pillars. And so we feel like if you if you feel like your body isn't recovering well or you're struggling to get out of pain, then you really have to take a deeper look at the way 
that you live your life. So let's kind of unpack this thought around keep moving. Mm -hmm. At first, to me, if I were to hear someone tell me that, that kind of seems like just common sense. Like, yes, you should stay active and you should keep exercising. But there really are two streams of thought, I feel like, with this thread. The first is to keep exploring and practicing movements, even if they don't feel great right now. And then the second stream of thought is to keep doing what you love to do, even if you have to adjust how you do it. Mm -hmm. So the first idea really came to me, or I guess I was exposed to it a few years ago when I attended the functional range conditioning workshop. Um, David, you've also attended the same workshop where Dr. Spina talked about this concept that if you were able to do the splits when you were young and then you continue to practice the splits frequently throughout the course of your life, well, you're probably going to be able to still do them when you're 80 years old, right? right? Right. You're kind of keeping all of your connective tissues adapted to those positions and you have been able to continue possessing the control to perform that movement well. Mm -hmm. And so as I've marinated on this thought, it has occurred to me that the same principle applies to all different types of movements or positions that we get into, no matter really how big or small. I mean, it can be just something as simple as you know, extending your wrist all the way back. If I keep doing that every day or keep challenging that movement every day, well, I'm probably not going to lose the ability to do it. A common example that we see are the ability to kneel down on the floor and sit back on your heels. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that a fairly high number of individuals lose the ability to do. And I understand why they lose it. I think for a lot of people, this kind of goes back to um, having sort of this fear-based approach to movement. Yeah. They, their knees started getting achy at one point, and it was somewhat uncomfortable to get into that position. And so they just stopped doing it altogether right. because, A, it was uncomfortable. And B, they started to become fearful that maybe they were going to do something worse to their knees if they kept getting into that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is people just stopped practicing exploring their bodies through movement altogether. So just taking all of those different lessons and those observations into mind, it's made me even more intentional about continuing to explore movements and or get into positions that it seems my body is resisting. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, don't get me wrong. I don't think anyone should push their body into sharp or significant amounts of pain at all. (laughs) But there's a difference between kind of that achy discomfort that you're, you know, you feel when like you first get up in the morning versus this sharp pain. And so if I end up succumbing to that resistance and I decide, well, I'm not going to kneel down on the floor and Mm -hmm. sit back on my heels then I know I'm going to eventually lose that ability. So I can number off a bunch of different positions that probably don't feel 100% for me right now, but I just continue trying to explore them and not succumbing to that resistance. It's even as simple as, you know, walking 
up and down stairs without holding on to the handrail. Yeah. <laughs> I am very <laughs> um, adamant, or I guess you could say stubborn, about things like that. It's funny you mentioned that one because, like, I will, in any chance I get, I will intentionally not, that specific example, I will intentionally not <laughs> hang on to the rail. Why? Because I don't have to and I want to keep not having to hang on to the rail. Yeah. And it is something as simple as that. Yeah. And like even with those positions you're talking about earlier, you know, where some if you don't think about it, it's easy to you're right, avoid things that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you've defined I think you defined really well, like what's an OK kind of discomfort and what's not an OK. There's that difference between like your body saying stop versus like, I just don't really like to do this. Yeah. yeah. And I think you and me, we kind of feel that resistance that uh, I don't really like to get into this position is like, hey, clearly I need to work on this position or this motion. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know, I think if with this idea that people stop exploring these positions, it just kind of becomes a slow decline mm -hmm. over the course of their life. Like, you know, suddenly they're starting to hold on to the handrail more and, well, now they're having to place more weight onto the handrail and then all of a sudden, you know, their knees just don't have quite the control that they used to have. And so then eventually they just start taking elevators all the time. So it, you know, it, you kind of see the slow demise of function and ability in people simply because at some point in time, they stopped doing something more. Right. So the second idea that comes out of this keep moving is that you want to keep doing the things that you love. The A big thing to really understand is that your body generally thrives on movement. Mm -hmm. Some days you maybe you wake up and you've got a little bit more of an ache or pain. I know, <laughs> David, yeah. you can share if you want to um, what you woke up with this yeah, morning. This was a perfect, this happened this morning. I was like, oh, this will be perfect to, to include on our discussion today. But yeah, I woke up and actually kind of started a little bit yesterday, but this morning it really got me just a nice crick in the neck where you get, yeah. you wake up and you try to turn your head and your body's like, uh-uh, not today. And it's, you know, it's painful. It's stiff. It's achy. Did I freak out? No. Um, <laughs> I sat up in bed and I, I just literally kind of sat there and was like, oh, okay. Uh, I wonder what my neck can do. And I kind of, you know, I look to the floor. I look to the ceiling. I start looking around to see what I have and what I don't. Yeah. And I just kind of keep it moving. I guarantee you that deadlifts today are probably going to be a little lighter. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not going to push myself as hard. So I do change my expectations and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but I'm in no way just going to like avoid movement right. just for that reason. Right. But I think that's the point of why we bring this up because mm -hmm. we do see a lot of people, they wake up with some sort of ache or pain that's maybe a little bit unusual. Yeah. And again, they go to this fear-based mindset that, oh no, what did I do? What is this potentially going to um, hurt me if I try to work out today? And most of the time, if you don't recall hurting yourself right. the day before, this is a, a very sort of minor ache or pain. It's some sort of neurological mm -hmm. um, or nervous system response to maybe the way you slept or, you know, the activity that you did yesterday, but it's typically not a tissue problem. And so, therefore, we would recommend that you, like you were saying, 
go ahead and do your planned workout, but maybe you just have to adjust your expectations. So you have to adjust your volume or perhaps don't go as intensely as what you were going to. And maybe even before you make those decisions, just move your body, go through a little bit of a mobility routine and see how you feel doing that. And I would say that more times than not, that pain will go away Mm -hmm. and you'll be able to proceed with your workout as normal. But those are, I think that's a, a really important thing that you know, maybe it's it's more than just a random pain that you woke up with. Maybe you've had kind of a chronic pain in your knees, your lower back. And I meet with patients all the time who come to me with those types of complaints and they have taken months off of working out. Right. And I literally question them like, like you haven't worked out in months because of this. And again, this wasn't any traumatic, you know, injury of the that really necessitated that type of a break from exercise. So as I say, even for a lot of those, a lot of those individuals who say they've taken time off and you ask them, has it gotten any better? Well, no, not really. Now it just, now they just notice it during regular old daily activities instead of things that they would just notice with, I don't know, maybe some workouts or something. So exactly that rest doesn't really move you in the right direction. Yeah. One of my favorite questions that I've heard um, some other providers say is, well, how's that working for you? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, yeah, a lot of times we say, well, no, that treatment or that rest, it really isn't making me much better. I had a really great um, patient this past week. I was talking to, um, he was around 50 years old and just within the last 10 years of his life got into the sport of swimming Mm -hmm. and he was coming to see me uh, two months after a shoulder surgery that he had and he point blank told me I love to swim and I Mm -hmm. want to ensure that I can swim for the rest of my able life so really this idea of, okay, I want to keep this individual moving. And it's clear to me that he wants to train for longevity. He wants to keep going the distance. So in addition to staying moving, I have to now think about as his athletic trainer, how can I keep this individual doing what he loves to do? And then what are the tactical strategies to meet him where he's at now and then improve what he has going forward. So that's kind of our a segue into our second uh, common thread in training for longevity, which is take care of your body. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the in the kind of the context of an individual like that, who's you know, we already know he's active. We know what he likes to do. We know the type of activity, swimming, which is. I did a lot of years swimming and it's really fun. <laughs> yeah. um, I haven't I haven't been back in the pool regularly for a while, but when we are looking at them, yeah, we assess their their movement function right then and there to just see where they're at. But when we think about long term fitness plans to keep this person going, you know, there's kind of like, and this is taking a step back a little bit and just looking at fitness plans in general for longevity. They each need to include some form of training for the heart, um, mm-hmm. the heart's capacity to move blood. Just general strength is another. And then the third is joint mobility. And when we think about implementation, you and I will commonly speak in terms of like what happens on a daily or weekly 
basis. And definitely all of these components should be occurring on a weekly basis and things like mobility, even on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, and this isn't just for basic health, but to keep you doing that specific thing that you love to do and probably even help your performance and just make it easier for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you might be, the, the, some of our listeners might be really dug into a specific form of training, like somebody who's swimming, they're probably going to be really strong aerobically, like they have a good conditioned heart, mm -hmm. but they might not be spending some of that other time that they have working on just general strength training or mobility training. So mm -hmm. we'll kind of look into each one of these that aerobic capacity, which refers to the heart and then the general strength and mobility and kind of talk a little bit about those and then how, if that's something that you're not doing now, how what would be a quick and easy way to start adding that. So to kind of kick it off, let's talk about aerobic capacity. So, you know, you hear the term aerobic, you think of like those 1980s aerobics films, but <laughs> really it's it's a form of training that targets what's called the cardiorespiratory system. So think heart, lungs, and blood vessels. The underlying goal of this form of exercise is to improve how well your body can deliver oxygen to all of its tissues. Mm -hmm. And your lungs need to be pulling in a good amount of air to do that. Your, your heart needs to be working very efficiently. There are a lot of ways to train the system, um, but the most foundational method is long what we call long duration steady state cardio. And it's mm -hmm. usually performed at a pretty moderate intensity. So it's not, this is not the person you're going to be see like drenched in sweat on the treadmill per se. Mm -mm. So th the reason this method is foundational is, is it's a little bit special from a lot of other ways you can train your heart is this. This long duration steady state helps the heart expand its capacity specifically within its chambers. So when I say expand capacity, it's like you have four chambers in your heart. They each draw in blood with every beat. A chamber that can draw in more blood with each beat is by nature going to be more efficient just because it can move more blood. It just makes all so many other things much easier in your life. And for me, this is one this is one particular form of training I've really taken more seriously, I would say over the last six months or so, because mm -hmm. you and I had some learnings that we were going through with that. And it really kind of opened my eyes up to things. And because I generally focus on strength training, that's like the thing that mm -hmm. I really like to do. And I never really gave a lot of time to this. And adding this in is helping my longevity. I know it is. I may have had to sacrifice a little bit of time that I would have done strength training to bring this into my life. Mm -hmm. But I also know this is probably going to be one of those things that helps me keep lifting weights for the next few decades. Yeah. And I, I think this is really important. And I, I honestly don't think that we can stress the importance of this particular piece of what we're talking about yeah. enough. And I, you know, many Many of our family and friends of our listeners and even you and I have been affected by cardiac conditions mm -hmm. um, or by lung conditions that are come from by way of the heart muscle. Right. And it's it's important. It's important for your heart to be able to function as efficiently as possible. If it doesn't, the rest of your body the rest of your muscles are mm -hmm. not going to be able to get the oxygen that they need in order to provide you the best performance when you are doing strength training right. or your hit type training. 
So even though I think steady state cardio has probably received a little bit of a bad rap over the years, it's like, oh, yeah, who really wants to get on the treadmill and walk at an incline for 40 minutes? (laughs) (laughs) It's not fun (laughs) and it is boring. Yeah. But. It's just like anything else. I mean, you have to make deposits into that bank of your heart in order to receive the benefits that it can provide you. And and I don't want this point to be missed that as you perform the steady state cardio, and we'll give you the specific parameters here in a second, it does expand the capacity. It enlarges the chamber of that that specific chamber of the heart, which allows that chamber to draw in more blood, which you said, but a heart that can move more or it allows basically the heart to pump less times mm-hmm. because it is pumping out more blood. Right. So it creates a more efficient system. It creates less stress on the heart itself. You don't really want your heart to beat as fast as possible. Right. If you can help it, you would you would like for it to produce more work at a lower heart rate. Yeah. And I mean just for the for the health benefits alone, no matter who you are, this is something that everybody should be doing if you're if you're not already. So mm-hmm. let's let's talk about um, implementation here for just a second. Mm-hmm. So for longevity's sake, this type of cardio should be performed at a heart rate that's, I don't know, between 120 and 150 and generally between 25 and 60 minutes for your average individual, um, say at least twice a week. Yeah. yeah. Twice a week. And this is just a, just a good, solid foundational practice to start with for this specific mm-hmm. type of, of training. Yeah. So if you're older, you would want to stick to the lower end of that heart rate range Mm -hmm. around the 120 to 130 beats per minute for that entire length of time that you do your cardio. If you're a little bit younger, then you can stick to the upper range of that 135 to 150 beats per minute. When you get above 150 beats per minute, that's when the heart is starting to go too fast, that it's not going to get that that sort of stretch response within the cells of the heart wall. Mm -hmm. So you really want to be pretty strict about that 120 to 150 beats per minute for that length of time. And then what we were probably next going to say is just that there's a variety of different modes that you can use. You can do incline walking. You can get on a bike um, and bump up the resistance so that you can keep that heart rate right where you want it to be. Mm You can do rowing. Um, you can pick up something heavy and walk with it for 25 minutes. Not my probably preferred way of <laughs> doing it, but um, but there's a variety of different ways that you can implement it. Um, you can go to a jog. I would say that's probably someone that's pretty fit that yeah. could jog for that length of time and keep their heart rate um, that low. But this is going to be something where you can easily carry on a conversation with someone um, during that length of time. You're probably going to be perspiring and you'll start to sweat towards the end, but you probably won't be dripping in sweat um, unless you are kind of up at that upper range of 60 minutes. But very effective. I know the times when I've really implemented it seriously, it has significantly improved how I feel when I go for my higher intensity runs. And even in my strength training, I'm able to recover between sets a lot better. Oh, yes, absolutely. Huge implications for performance as well. Yeah. 
So let's also talk about the second one, which is just general strength. So this form of training uh, targets the musculoskeletal system. So you'll think of bones, muscles, tendons, and joints, just all the stuff that makes you move. The underlying goal here is to really kind of add strength to your movement. You can think confidence in your movement, competency in your movement. It does build up your musculoskeletal system as you're doing that. And like aerobic training, there's a lot of different ways to go about this. But again, a foundational method is just really slow. And I'm using air quotes, slow, heavy loading because heavy for each individual is going to be kind of a relative term. The reason this method is pretty foundational is it is it places a it gets your nervous system very, very involved in the movements that you're doing, as well as driving the growth of your muscles. And this is actually where a lot of individuals really miss the mark in really two ways. The first is simply by not like lifting heavy enough. And while resistance training is almost um, in any form will, and almost any form will improve strength to some extent, it's the heavy lifting that really kind of gets the tissues of your body to really improve their tolerance to loading um, mm -hmm. and just movement in general and also just how strongly your muscles can contract. The second is by not moving. Uh, another way people kind of miss the mark is not really focusing on control of the movements of the, I'm thinking of lifts, things like bench press and squat, just not having a lot of control over those motions. So you do want to lift things that are relatively heavy, but then also just make sure you're focusing on the control. So you can think slow, heavy loading is key here. And aside of all the, just the super crazy and cool physiological changes that happen. Some of these are literally the resiliency of your tissues get better along with your, your muscular strength and your movement control. Getting strong, just in general, getting strong makes the pursuit of other athletic or even daily movements just much easier. Because if, if you just think about it, if you're able to control movements with extra resistance, those same movements will naturally be so much easier when they're performed without resistance. Mm -hmm. So just general strengthening, spectacular for overall health. As far as implementation goes, I think some general strength training should include some really basic movements. We commonly talk about these basic movements like a squatting movement, hinging movement, pushing and pulling with your upper body like a push-up or a pull-up. Um, if you can't do those, there's all kinds of variations you can come up with. And then, like you were talking about earlier, picking up something heavy and carrying it, mm -hmm. carries are a huge one to definitely mm -hmm. add some strength to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the example of my patient who is a swimmer, he wants to remain swimming. I'm, you know, thinking through, again, what are the tactical strategies that I want him to implement throughout the course of his week? Mm -hmm. And... He's going to get a lot of that aerobic capacity training through his swimming. Right. So, you know, he's kind of already ticked that box yeah. and he is doing some strength training. But as we talked about it in our appointment, it's probably not strength training. Well, he even admitted that it's just sort of random and just kind of walks in the gym and goes, mm, that looks like yeah. an OK movement today. But thinking about him as a swimmer, OK, well, what are the types of things that I want him to do in terms of strength training in order mm -hmm. to support his swimming better. So if you are listening and you're a runner, there are 
certain things in the gym that were really going to support your running. They all still should follow these basic movements like the squat, the hinge, push and pull, as well as doing some carries, but they're gonna be variations of that that are more specific to maybe a runner versus a swimmer versus, I don't know, someone who likes to play tennis or you know maybe just really wants to play with their kids a whole lot. So it's, you know, these are still these big uh, pillars, but you can still make them customized for each individual. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, it is, there are some very basic underlying principles to remember, but the, the variation from one individual to the neck is next is something you have to, you do have to figure out. Yeah. Um, there, I would definitely not recommend a swimmer and a runner to do the exact same exercises. No, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> so when I talk about lifting heavy, just to kind of put that relative term in perspective for you. If you can think of, you know, on a, on a scale of 10, 10 being like the heaviest thing you've ever lifted, generally like somewhere a six, seven or an eight mm-hmm. is generally a good place to hang out. Mm-hmm. If you're working towards the high end, like this is an eight on your, on your, on your scale of 10, mm-hmm. you really shouldn't feel like you can go that much beyond probably eight reps, mm-hmm. like on a max effort. Like if you can go past eight reps, you probably have a little bit of room to bump the weight up mm-hmm. a little bit more. And as far as reps go, I think the eight rep range is a pretty is a pretty good rep range for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, and this even goes into a little bit of our next point. Um, so I'm bumping ahead just a little bit. But when we, you know, as most of us have, you know, families and mm-hmm. stressful jobs and obligations and lots of things that are vying for our attention, we slowly have to start creating more space for those things in our life and training a lot of times becomes something that we have to fit in yeah and i i see a lot of people um just going about especially strength training plans in uh, not a very smart way Mm -hmm. and so what you're describing david of you know lift heavy as heavy as you can perform safely and effectively with control that actually creates more efficiency in your workout because suddenly you're not doing eight nine ten exercises you might be doing three four five six at the most over the course of your training session Mm -hmm. because simply by lifting heavier that requires more demand out of your neurological system and it requires more muscles to move that weight so you're actually getting more of this total body workout than you would be if you were doing a bunch of isolation movements at a lower resistance or lower load Mm -hmm. yeah and and with that it's always i've always kind of erred on the side of like it's good. It's better to underestimate where your starting weight should be than to overestimate. Yeah, for sure. You can always build up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this this brings me to the to the last kind of pillar of this is which is joint mobility, the other type of training you should be doing. And similar to strength training, it also targets the musculoskeletal system, mm-hmm. it, the muscles, tendons, joints. The underlying goal is a little bit different. So this is taught. Mobility training is really trying to add movement capacity to the individual joints. Mm-hmm. So the end result ultimately is easier movement. So the way I kind of differentiate mobility and strength is like mobility targets the stuff that lets you do movement, mm. where strength is targeting the movements 
I don't know how you can yeah. think of it like that. but I like that. And they're just like all the others. There's a lot of ways to go about this, but the tried and true foundational method is really just kind of spending time stimulating training um, end ranges. Mm-hmm. And we pick out the term end range because this is what focuses on the health of a tissue called the joint capsule. Mm-hmm. The joint capsule is a form of connective tissue. It's kind of like very a ligament type of tissue that wraps around and encapsulates the joint holds it together and it should be actually fairly like pliable and let movement happen it shouldn't be resisting movement really however an unhealthy capsule generally becomes thicker less pliable and for lack of a better term kind of results in the joint almost being smashed together like there's not a lot of motion happening there or is resistant to movement and this and this really brings up kind of like three main problems just by itself that that particular joint that has a unhealthy capsule and doesn't have a lot of movement ability could potentially start to experience some degenerative changes if it's not addressed another one is the muscles around that joint actually have to work harder now because they're overcoming the tightness of the joint itself and then the third is just now your body has to move different because you're working around stiff joints Mm -hmm. All three of these can lead to different issues down the road that'll ultimately take you away from doing the things that you really like to do. So, and joints can become unhealthy for a variety of reasons. It could be lack of movement, could be repetitive movements, could be a previous injury. Um, I mean, or, or even or even lifestyle choices like smoking and mm-hmm. and things like that. But keeping joints healthy with regular mobility helps reduce pain and stiffness, makes movement easier overall, and significantly reduces the likelihood of becoming injured. And really does help improve just overall athleticism, performance, longevity, quality of life, all that stuff. Yeah. And I think from an implementation standpoint for joint mobility, it goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning of this episode that just start getting into positions more that are uncomfortable or stiff or achy. I think that's one place to start. Mm -hmm. Um, Just spend time in those positions, get your body used to that, help your nervous system to calm down when you start sitting on your heels or you flex your wrist back or you put your arm behind your head. And from there, then you can really start with this daily routine. Many of you have listened to us before and you've heard us talk about cars, which are controlled articular rotations. We just call them cars for short. But these are active rotational movements done at the outer limits of your range of motion and they're done in a very controlled purposeful way and um, we've got a multitude of resources that you can access for learning what a car's routine is but the point here is to establish constant communication with that joint capsule a lot of um, people have it kind of flip-flopped that we need to work on Um, If something is hurt or achy, it must be because a muscle is weak or you must have torn a muscle. And unless you know that you've torn a muscle, you probably haven't. You really need to focus on that joint health first. We have found that when people focus on joint health, the muscle function comes along for the ride and your pain levels and discomfort levels will start to go down um, significantly. Yeah. I definitely know the the need for each of these obviously varies per individual. And I think a whole part of this process and 
where you're at currently is just becoming a student of your body and a kind of a combination of that and adjusting your expectations and practices to fine tune this balance of things, balance of these things along with really the rest of your life, which it does take time and attentiveness is a huge one. Mm -hmm. A little bit of experimentation with your movements and your positions and obviously a little bit of a willingness to give and take in, in some areas. Yeah. So that brings us really to our last big point of the day, which is simply listening to your body. And we won't spend a whole lot of time camped on this because I think it's kind of common sense or it should yeah. be common sense to listen to your body. But we, you know, we've all had days that we wake up and we feel like we've been run over by a truck or like David today, waking up with a stiff neck, mm-hmm. something doesn't feel good. Or maybe you just even wake up feeling extremely fatigued for no um, obvious reason. So, you know, what do you do with that? Do you not train today? Do you train? Um, Are there other factors outside of training that you need to start considering and making adjustments to? Mm -hmm. So even more broadly than just the here and now, how do you, sitting right there, listening to this right now, how do you look at your life and start to sort of architect it so that you prevent yourself from getting to the point of burnout or fatigue or being injured. So I think some questions to start asking yourself are, do you need more sleep? There's a ton of research out around the ideal number of hours of sleep. And I would say in this country specifically, we have we are chronically underslept. Yeah. And, you know, it's something that I have purposefully tried to increase over the past, I would say, uh, one to two years. And my focus and my mental acuity is so much better now than probably what it was two years ago because I am adamant about getting at least seven hours of sleep on my um, work nights. Mm -hmm. And then I usually get a little bit more on the weekends. But sleep is one thing I would say in terms of your training, you also need to look at the volume that you have. Is just your volume too high? Are Are you running too many consecutive days in a row? Are you lifting... 15 exercises every time that you go and you're accumulating 200 repetitions, uh, do you need to prioritize a different aspect of training in order to get back on the horse? So in other words, do you have to pull back on something in order to focus on another thing Mm -hmm. so that eventually you can continue getting back to that first thing? And then The last question I guess I would ask is, are you willing to make sacrifices in removing temporary pleasures or instant gratification in order to gain long-term freedom in the things that you do? And then I, I know that we wanted to talk about this idea of progressing slower. And when you are training you know, understanding that unless you're training for a specific event, there's no deadline. Right. There's no timeline for you to have to hit certain things in the gym or, you know, you have to run a certain distance within a certain time. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of the things that you have to say about sustainability. I think sustainability is something that very much unconsidered. And it's it's pretty serious to, to think about that and consider that, you know, you 
you really do have time, so just don't be in a rush. If, if like if you're that person that you're describing that doesn't really have a deadline to anything, and I and I bring this up because I'm totally totally guilty of getting a little gung ho on my workouts, and it actually ends up hitting it makes me hit a wall. Whether that is because of my performance just tanks or something starts hurting or I just lose motivation because now I'm just like, oh, I got to work out. That sucks. And Mm -hmm. nobody wants to feel like that. Mm -hmm. And no training plan is immune to this. So that's why we're talking about it now. But a plan that has a slow progression leaves you room to actually listen to your body and is much more likely to set you up for success in that long term Mm -hmm. mindset. Yeah. We, I think we found that a lot of people approach training with this kind of scarcity mindset that they're, mm-hmm. you know, they don't have enough time or um, they're not going to have enough days in order to get X number of lifts in. And they, you know, so they kind of set themselves up for trouble. Yeah. And I think... A mindset shift that has occurred in myself is that, no, you have all the time in the world. You have the rest of your life to accomplish fitness goals, and you don't have to accomplish every goal that you have within this calendar year. You can work on a few things this year. You can enjoy the process and work on something different next year. I mean, that's the the part about having you know, a human body and yeah. and the ability to do these things. And I, I think it's also really key to keep in mind that, you know, again, exercise was a human invention yeah. for not living life the way that we are supposed to. So if you have a whole year where you don't step into a traditional gym or heck for the rest of your life where you don't step into a traditional gym, yeah. but you you keep your days and your weeks busy with yard work and housework and you go on hikes with your kids and you know you just play with your kids that is enough yeah and as long as you're doing your joint training (laughs) as long as you're doing your joint i was wondering if you're going to insert that yeah so you know it those are some things that i've had to keep in mind myself and it's it's actually made uh, myself feel a lot more joyful when i am in in the gym myself yeah for me it was really thinking kind of going back to what you're saying is like why am i doing this in the first place and for me it was i want to be able to play with my kid i want to be mm-hmm. able to climb trees and play with my kids and do all these things so should my workouts be making me in pain or so sore that i can't do those things uh no Right. It shouldn't be interfering like that. So for me, it was like coming to the conclusion that I actually don't have to keep adding weight to the bar every time I come to the gym. Yeah. It's okay if I just kind of just keep greasing the groove with the whatever intensity I'm at. So that was a big realization for me that has helped me tremendously. Yeah. So tying this all back together, again, this is all about training for longevity, making Mm -hmm. sure that you are able to do the things that you love to do for the rest of your life. And it all sort of beautifully tied together for me the other day as I was scrolling on Instagram and saw a a friend and fellow uh, coach who she is a a coach to professional golfers. Mm She had a series of posts on Instagram, and it kind of went like this. Are you willing to play less golf, forgo a lesson, spend money on a coach, eat nutritious meals, drink less alcohol, 
prioritize fitness and mobility so that you play more golf longer and at a more enjoyable level. If so, then how about adding something in, a better bedtime, a daily mobility routine, more vegetables, <laughs> de-stressing activities, which we didn't really talk about today, but it's no. hugely important, yeah. self-acceptance, patience, that whole progress slower. How about taking a risk? I'm not saying don't take lessons, and we're not saying don't play golf or don't do the things that you love, but if you're taking or doing the same things for years with no improvement, then that's a problem. If you are masking your pain or your aches with medications or alcohol or, you know, you're just stopping altogether, yeah. that's a problem too. So you really kind of have to weigh out the costs and, you know, see where that leaves you. So again, it's it's thinking about what are the instant gratification things that you can forego or how can you sort of re-swizzle your training philosophy, your training, your training strategies in order to enjoy the benefits for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Agreed. All right. Uh, 100%. <laughs> well, we hope that our chat has opened up your mind to thinking about how you can create more longevity within yourself in being active. If you do have any questions or you want specific suggestions for where you're at in life, we would love to hear from you. Uh, you can feel free to email us at david.albers, triple I, mm-hmm. at Cerner.com. That's david.albersiii at Cerner.com or rebecca.grube at Cerner.com. That's rebecca, R-E-B-E-K-A-H dot G-R-U-B-E at Cerner.com. So with that, we look forward to chatting with you again soon. And thank you for listening to the Healthy at Cerner podcast.